Section two of National Geographic Magazine, Volume five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. Discoverers of America, by the Honorable Gardiner G. Hubbard, Part two. After Columbus, Magellan was the greatest of the discoverers of America. Born of a noble Portuguese family, he early entered the naval service and sailed to India, where for seven years he was employed on land and on sea in laying the foundation of the Portuguese empire. He gained a great reputation for his services and returned to Lisbon. Disappointed in an application to the King of Portugal, he went to Spain, where Charles V gladly received him and gave him the command of a fleet of five vessels, in which he set sail for India and the Spice Islands. Magellan, like Columbus and Vespucius, hoped to find a way to India through some strait dividing South America, or, failing in that, by sailing around the mainland. He left Spain in 1518 for Brazil, sailing then southwardly along the coast to about fifty degrees south, where he spent the winter. Three of his captains became discouraged, mutinied, and determined to return. Magellan heard of their treachery. He summoned the leader to his vessel. On his refusal to obey, the officer bearing the summons plunged a dagger into the heart of the mutineer. At the same moment, a boat's crew from Magellan's vessel mounted the deck, and the mutiny was over. The other mutineers were either hung or left to perish on the coast of Patagonia. Early in the spring of 1519, the fleet set out again, one vessel having been shipwrecked, and found a channel which proved to be the long-sought passage to India. Three months were spent in exploring the Straits of Magellan before they entered the Pacific Ocean. One of the vessels sent to explore a channel in the Straits deserted and returned to Spain. They sailed along the coast of Patagonia four hundred or five hundred miles, and then northeastward toward Cathay and the Spice Islands. The wind was light, the ocean was as calm and smooth as an island sea, and they called it the Pacific Ocean. For months their progress was slow, their food failed scurvy and sickness broke out. Finally they reached the Ladrone Islands and found the food and rest they so much needed. They then sailed for the Philippine Islands, where in a foolish affray with the natives Magellan was killed. But he had finished his work. He had circumnavigated the globe. He had reached the east by sailing west. One of the three vessels which had crossed the Pacific was abandoned and burned in the Philippine Islands, Another was lost in the Malaccas. The last, loaded with spice, returned to Spain and finished the most remarkable voyage on record. Of the 280 men who sailed with Magellan in September 1519, only 18 returned in September 1522. The cost of this fleet, with all its equipment, was about $20,000, less than one-half of the cost of the steamer plying between Washington and Mount Vernon. The sale of the spices left a large profit to Charles V and the merchants who had furnished the funds for the adventure. The King of Spain gave the heirs of Ferdinand Magellan for their coat of arms a terrestrial globe belted with the legend, Primus circumdedisti me, thou first encompassed me. In 1513, Vasco Nunez Balboa, a Spaniard who had married an Indian princess, heard from the natives, of the Pacific Ocean, and of the land of the Incas, where gold, silver, and precious stones abounded. On September 25th, from the top of the mountains, he looked down on the Pacific Ocean, 
the first European to behold it. He collected a few vessels on the Atlantic coast for a voyage of discovery to Peru, and, taking them to pieces, he carried them across the isthmus and launched them on the Pacific. Two thousand Indians, we are told, perished in this work. When nearly ready to sail, he was recalled by the governor of Darien and beheaded. After the death of Balboa, Francisco Pizarro, one of his followers, returned to Spain with an account of the land of the Incas, and in 1529 was made governor and captain-general of this country, then called the province of New Castile, with leave to fit out at his own expense an expedition to conquer that territory. He left Panama with three ships, 180 men and 27 horses, but it was not until two years later that they landed in Peru, and began that contest which resulted in the overthrow of the Incas, and in loading with riches the meanest of Pizarro's followers. The civilization of the Incas, the highest type in America, was crushed. The Spaniards soon after this conquest sailed still further southward, along the coast of Peru and Chile, even to the Straits of Magellan. Rumors of an El Dorado beyond the Andes came to Pizarro. One of his followers, Orellano, was sent to cross the Andes and descend to the headwaters of the Amazon, but he could not find the promised land. His party, famished and decimated by the fatigue of the journey, and unable to return to the Pacific, built a boat and floated down the Amazon River four thousand miles to its mouth. Before the discovery of Peru by Pizarro, Sebastian Cabot, with a small Spanish fleet, in 1527, sailed up the Rio de la Plata to the great falls of the Parana. He found some silver and gold mines in Brazil, and heard of the civilization and riches of the Incas of Peru, but was unable to cross the mountains to their country. Thus, within fifty years after the discovery of America, South America had been circumnavigated, its great rivers navigated, and the general features of the interior and its treasures of gold and silver made known to the Spaniards and the Portuguese. Sometime before the conquest of Peru, the Spaniards heard rumors of the great city of the Montezumas. In March, 1519, Hernando Cortes, one of the most daring and able of the adventurous Spaniards, landed on the coast of Mexico with ten vessels, six hundred to seven hundred soldiers, eighteen horsemen, and some cannon. He burnt his ships, thus cutting off all retreat, and then marched toward the city of Mexico. By his courage, address, and strategy, he conquered, or made friends, of several tribes of Indians hostile to Montezuma. He pushed onward to the city of Mexico, where he was received with great pomp by Montezuma and escorted into the city as his friend and guest. Soon after Cortes, learning that Montezuma was preparing to attack the invaders, visited him in his palace, and by persuasion and force took him to the Spanish quarters and kept him a prisoner. Some time later the Indians chose another king and attacked the Spaniards, but after a slight success were defeated with great loss. Then Cortes, having captured and fortified the city of Mexico, defeated the other tribes and subdued the whole country. He subsequently explored it to the Gulf of California and Lower California, on the other side of the Gulf. He then returned to Spain, but was not received by Charles V as he expected. Forcing his way to the royal presence, Cortes replied to Charles, who wished to know who the intruder was. I am the man who has given you more provinces than your father left you cities. There is no tale in the history of the world more marvelous than the conquest of Peru and Mexico, when we consider the high culture and strength of the natives, the small number of Europeans engaged, the extent of the conquests, and the value of the treasures obtained. 
the spanish discoverers of america were men of marked ability capable of enduring privations of every kind prompt in action prepared for every emergency proud brave and self-reliant to the verge of rashness eager for adventures cruel unscrupulous and rapacious of unbounded greed and ambition they sought and found gold and silver in peru and mexico in such quantities as they had never dreamed of the new world brought to spain greater wealth and glory than columbus ever expected to find in cathay or the spice islands spain it is said drew from america during the sixteenth century seven hundred millions of dollars in gold and silver a sum fully equal to ten times as much in purchasing power at the time as it would be today in the exploration of north america the spaniards took little interest what need have we they said of things which are common to all the countries of europe to the south to the south of the great and exceeding riches of the equinoctial they that seek riches must not go into the cold and frozen north the french though they made some remarkable journeys in the continent of north america furnished but one discoverer whom we shall notice jacques cartier a french navigator who was appointed in fifteen thirty four by francis i to the command of two ships for exploring the district near the fishing grounds of newfoundland he sailed up the st lawrence and took possession of canada for france erecting a wooden cross with the inscription viva la roi de france in fifteen forty one a settlement was made near quebec the commencement of the french colonization in canada the english were far behind the spanish and portuguese in the exploration of america their first great voyagers after the cabots were slavers buccaneers and pirates their most noted commanders were john hawkins and francis drake who carried a cargo of negro slaves from africa to the west indies and sold them at an enormous profit they there heard of the spanish galleons bearing the treasures of peru and mexico to spain and of the cruelties with which english seamen taken prisoners had been treated on their return fleets were equipped and sent to the gulf of mexico to capture the treasure ships and avenge the wrongs of the english sailors the queen frequently furnished ships belonging to the royal navy they were equipped by raleigh and other english noblemen and the prizes were divided between the crew officers nobles and queen the queen obtaining the largest share sir francis drake one of the boldest and most successful of these cruisers on one trip overhauled and plundered over two hundred vessels and pillaged towns and cities several times philip the second of spain demanded his surrender as a pirate for during all this time the two nations were at peace the queen hesitated and delayed but never yielded to the demand there and then the foundation was laid of the navy and seamen of great britain in fifteen seventy seven drake was summoned to a private audience with the queen at which it was agreed that a fleet of five ships would be equipped nominally for the mediterranean but really for the south seas as the pacific ocean was then called to capture the great galleons the treasure ships of spain and that the queen should contribute one thousand crowns to the cost on august twentieth fifteen seventy eight drake with this fleet reached the straits of magellan and sailed through them in two weeks into the pacific there they encountered long and terrific storms which carried them far south of the straits one of drake's vessels had been broken up for firewood another swamped in his sight and the third deserted and returned to england on the fifty-third day of the tempest drake found himself south of cape horn where no other vessel had ever sailed here according to all the maps was the great austral continent which extended an unbroken land area from the straits of magellan to the antarctic pole 
but he found only water before him rolled the waters of the atlantic and pacific in one great flood he walked to the end of the farthest island lay down and with his arms embraced the southernmost ground of the new world then the weather changed and all went well he sailed along the coast of south america captured valparaiso took all the treasures he could find refitted and provisioned his ships and sailed northward taking treasure ships and plundering cities until his vessel could carry no more although it was ballasted with silver and gold instead of returning as he had come drake determined to seek and find the fabulous strait so long sought by columbus and by that channel find his way home he followed the coast from central america northward to the latitude of vancouver and took possession of the land for england calling it new albion then finding the coast still trending to the northwestward and the weather growing more and more severe he gave up his attempt landed at the harbor of san francisco refitted his ships and returned home by the cape of good hope reaching plymouth in september fifteen eighty the second man to circumnavigate the world what his reception would be at home was questionable the news of his exploits had reached spain the year before and the ambassador of philip demanded that he should be executed as a pirate and renewed the demand as soon as he heard of the explorer's return the result of this demand was for some time doubtful but when it was heard that a spanish hostile fleet had landed on the irish coast the queen determined to support drake and receive her share of the spoils what they were we are not told but they must have been very great as drake's share was ten thousand pounds equal to four hundred thousand dollars of our money to-day this voyage of drake completed the discovery of america from the northern coast of labrador southward around cape horn and northward to forty-eight degrees the latitude of vancouver island nearly one hundred years elapsed from the first voyage of columbus to the voyage of drake each of whom vainly sought a way through america the one from the atlantic to the pacific the other from the pacific to the atlantic thus before the end of the sixteenth century the whole continent of america save the arctic border had been circumnavigated and the southern part of it colonized but it was not until after another century and another age that another race found homes for themselves on the coast of north america the voyages of the discoverers of america gradually became known to the public it is interesting and instructive to examine the early maps representing these voyages to see how slowly the geography of the new world became known on the zeni map of fourteen hundred published in fifteen fifty eight greenland is connected with norway the same connection is shown in the claudius clavis map of fourteen twenty seven in the portuguese mapamonde of fourteen ninety and even in the ptolemy map by waltzi muller in fifteen thirteen while in the map of europe at the end of the chronicon nurembergensi in fourteen ninety three greenland is shown as an isthmus connecting norway and sweden with russia one of the first maps drawn after the discovery of america was that made in fifteen hundred by juan de la casa a celebrated pilot and cartographer who accompanied columbus on his first and second voyages and vespucius on his first voyage it delineated parts of the eastern coasts of south america and north america showing by the flags of spain england and portugal the coast explored by the ships of each country on that part of the map between north america and south america columbus is drawn as st columbus bearing the christ child on his shoulders the figure thus fulfills a double purpose of honoring columbus and covering the undiscovered portions of the continent on the cantino chart of fifteen o one to fifteen o two 
south america is delineated as surrounded by water from about thirty degrees south to the isthmus of darien then cuba the west india islands and the coast of north america from thirty seven degrees to fifty four degrees north there is no land connecting north america and south america on the rush map of fifteen o eight two years after the death of columbus greenland and labrador are connected with asia the new world appears as an island near the equator on the lennox globe so called made about the year fifteen ten now in the lennox library in new york south america is a large island while north america is represented by a number of detached islands on the map attributed to leonardo da vinci fifteen fourteen the name america appears for the first time and is given to a large island on the equator florida is the name of another island northwest of america on the schoener globes of fifteen fifteen and fifteen twenty north america and south america are two islands while the southern part of america is separated by straits from the antarctic continent and on the globe of fifteen twenty the city of mexico is identified as quince of marco polo on the Hauslob globe of fifteen sixteen to fifteen seventeen the name america is given to south america straits connecting the atlantic and pacific oceans separate north america from south america on the maiolo map of fifteen twenty seven south america including the isthmus of panama appears an island separated by the strato cubatoro from north america on the munster map of fifteen thirty two south america is an island with a strait between it and cuba leading to the pacific ocean while on the munster map of fifteen forty north america and south america are connected by an isthmus on the paris gilt globe about fifteen twenty five greenland is an island labrador and terra florida form parts of asia while the gulf of mexico is fairly delineated with cathay on its western shore the schoener globe of fifteen thirty three is much the same in the middle latitudes while the paris wooden globe about fifteen thirty five represents greenland labrador and florida as belonging to asia the gulf of mexico as the mar catharum and south america as a peninsular extension of the asiatic mainland on the map of orontius phineas fifteen thirty seven thirty years after the death of columbus greenland is an island labrador and the coast of north america are attached to the northern part of asia cathay appears on the gulf of mexico and south america is connected with the southeastern part of asia this map was made nearly twenty years after magellan had circumnavigated the world on the gastaldi carto marina of fifteen forty eight greenland is connected with norway on the east and labrador with america on the west north america and south america are connected and the austral continent is shown south of the straits of magellan there was no map published until after the sixteenth century that gave a correct delineation of the sea-coast of america it is no wonder that columbus never comprehended the nature or extent of his discoveries the more we study the history and geography of the times the influence of the church the difficulty of determining longitude the ignorance of the movements of the mariner's compass and of the distance to Sipango, the greater will be our admiration for columbus yet a recent writer speaks of the discovery of columbus as a blunder and others say as if in disparagement of his work that he knew of the discoveries of the northmen and was only following their track that the chart of toscanini which columbus took on his first voyage indicated clearly his route that columbus died in the belief that he had discovered Sipango and cathay never realizing that it was the new world and that americus vespucius is entitled to the greater credit 
Let us hear the opinion of a contemporary of Columbus, Sebastian Cabot. When news was brought that Don Christopher Colon, the Genoese, had discovered the coasts of India, whereon was great talk in all the court of King Henry the Seventh, who then reigned, all men with great admiration affirmed it to be a thing more divine than humane to sail by the west into the east, where the spices grow, by a chart that was never before known. It is very doubtful if Columbus knew anything of the voyages of the Northmen, nor would such knowledge have been of much value, for Greenland was then believed to be a part of Europe and joined to Norway. If Columbus had known of the discoveries and sought the countries they had found, he would have sailed northwestward instead of westward. Many before Toscanini and Columbus believed the world to be round, and that by sailing westward Asia might be reached, believed but proved it. He made no blunder, for he sought land the other side of the Atlantic, and he found it. This Puseus knew little more than Columbus of the New World, and never realized that North America and South America were one continent. The maps show that learned geographers long after the discoveries of Columbus, Vespucius, Cabot, and Magellan did not understand the geography of the New World. All voyages before that of Columbus had been coasting voyages, the sailors keeping in sight of land. Columbus pushed out into the unknown and trackless ocean, leaving land far behind. Good seamen were unwilling to undertake so terrible a voyage, so convicts were obtained, liberated from prison on condition of sailing with Columbus. A brave, resolute, and self-contained spirit was necessary to command such a crew on such an expedition. New wonders startled him each day. The magnetic needle, instead of pointing steadily northward, swerved toward the west. The wind for many days blew unvaryingly from the east, and the sailors thought it would prevent them from returning. The Saragossa Sea puzzled them. They daily grew more timid as they sailed further and further into the ocean, though they had sailed much further than they had supposed. No voyage like that was ever made before, and none like it can ever be made again, for the great discoverer solved the problem and reached the east by sailing west. How like a tragedy the life of Columbus! Twelve years of preparation and waiting, five in Portugal and seven at the court of Isabella, his demand, its rejection, his recall, his departure from Palos with three small vessels, his triumphant return after the discovery of America, admiral and governor, sent home in chains, his death, poor, unknown, and forgotten. Contrast this with what has recently taken place at Palos. Last September, 1892, the greatest warships of the world from Spain, Italy, Germany, Great Britain, and the United States, propelled by a power unknown to Columbus, escorted from the harbor of Palos three little ships, two without decks, fashioned after the ships of Columbus. At the time of Columbus's death, none to honor him. Now all Europe and the New World unite in rendering him the greatest homage ever paid to man. End of section 2